Imagine a, uh, a baseball team that has been struggling for a while, and all of a sudden they find themselves a super pitcher. I mean, this guy could send it down at 115 miles. He can send a uh, fastball, a knuckleball, a spinning ball, every kind of ball. But he has one problem. He refuses to watch the signals of the catcher. So whenever the catcher would signal him for a low fast ball, he would throw an inside curve ball. Now the results are not very pretty. Eventually, no matter how good this uh, hot shot may be, the team will lose. This kind of picture is a picture of an individual Christian who works hard, who tries hard, but refuses to get his signals from the Lord Jesus Christ. The consequences are unpleasant, often. And today we encounter Abraham in Genesis 16 and 17 to be doing his own pitching without paying attention to the signal. Turn with me to those passages in Genesis 16 and 17. When we left Abraham in Genesis 15, he was spiritually and emotionally on a peak. God has passed through the pieces of the sacrifice to confirm his covenant with Abraham. And you would have thought that from that moment on, Abraham is going to live a life of obedience. He's going to get a life of trusting in God and waiting upon God. But instead, in a moment of impatience, he did an about face and stumbled headlong into one of the biggest messes that he's ever made. And we're still suffering from that mess today. I'll come to that in a minute. Remember I told you that testing always naps at the heel of success? Well, if Genesis 15 can be called the chapter of faith, Genesis 16 can be called the chapter of defeat. In Genesis 15, Abraham walked by faith. In Genesis 16, he walked in the flesh. If in Genesis 15, Abraham listened to God and God alone... In Genesis 16, he listened to his wife. Now, don't get me wrong. (laughs) I get wonderful counsel from my wife. But on this occasion, Sarah misled Abraham. She led him wrongly away from the plan of God, and he acquiesced. Remember that it was Abraham who enticed Sarah to lie in Egypt. And far from putting the blame on Sarah... It was Abraham he should have known better. In Genesis 15, 4, you remember? Abraham was reminding the Lord of the estate planning system in the era of Chaldeas. Namely of adopting Eliezer of Damascus to be his son and heir. And then he will inherit him and he will be. And God said, read my lips. No, I'm going to bless you supernaturally with a son. Now after that, Sarah had two problems. One... She was thoroughly frustrated because she was unable to fall pregnant. Now I want to tell you something. Until and unless you've been in that situation, you really cannot be quick to judge Sarah. It was a desperate time for her. Secondly, it didn't seem that at her age, 
she's going to be able to fall pregnant and have a baby. So, as it was the custom in the era of Chaldeans, a barren woman who's a maid of the mistress, if she falls pregnant by the master, as long as she delivers the baby sitting on her mistress' knees, that child be considered the master's son. The wife would take him as her own son. So, in chapter 16, verse 2, look at it with me. Sarah tells Abraham, God has prevented me from having a baby. How about that, huh? Well, if she's going to blame somebody, might as well be God, right? She believed that God closed her womb, but He couldn't open it and give her a baby. How many of us blame God when things go wrong and refuse to believe that out of the wrong and the bad and the evil, God can bring together something good and beautiful? How many times do we believe that? Sarah's notion was the epitome of self-sacrifice. But sometimes we do the wrong thing out of the right motive. And I want to tell you, if it's not honoring to God, it's wrong. And Sarah was trying to circumvent the plan of God. She was trying to short-circuit the promises of God. She was leading Abraham away from the path of obedience and trusting in God's promises on God's schedule. She not only wronged Abraham, she wronged Hagar, but I want to tell you, she wronged herself by doing that. Because she was robbing herself from being a matriarch of a great nation. Christians often make that same double-edged mistake that Sarah made. What is it? On the one hand, we presume on the grace of God. And on the other hand, we try to help God to perform His miracle. (laughs) What about Abraham? (laughs) Well, he just went right on with the program. He followed right in there. He didn't pray. He didn't go back to Bethel and said, Lord, you told me that the Eliezer situation don't work out. Will this one work out? Is this what you want? You see... It was the natural thing to do. And please hear me right. Whenever it is the natural thing to do, it is not the supernatural. But what an awesome God. I want you to focus on God today. What an awesome God we have. You know, He is famous for picking up the tattered threads of our disobedience and He weaves them into something beautiful. He is famous for pasting together the fragments of fractured lives. And he brings a beautiful picture out of it. He is specialist in taking the throwaway material. And then he weaves a beautiful tapestry in your life and in mine. Someone said that when Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall and Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And when all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty together again because only the king could. And she needed the king, not the king's men. So Abraham and Sarah finally found out a way to help God to perform his miracle. Our society is now hooked on miracles and angels. And you've heard it and I've heard it. Positive mental attitude will perform a miracle. Visualization is the thing that is going to bring the the miracle about. Naming it and claiming it will produce a miracle. Blabbing it and grabbing it will produce a miracle. (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) When God intervenes, He doesn't need any of this stuff. In fact, the opposite is true. When we step out of God's plan and try to do it ourselves, 
you can be sure that strife will follow. When we get the flesh and the old nature interfere in the work of God and the work of the church of God, I promise you, division will follow. Whenever we let the desire, hear me right, whenever we let the desire of the flesh take control or get out of control, we leave behind broken hearts and broken pieces. So in this case, little Ishmael came on the scene Born to unhappy mother, born to every kind of tension and resentment. And no wonder the Bible calls him a wild donkey of a man. <laughs> so in verse 4, Hagar began to despise Sarah, and Sarah began to resent Hagar. <laughs> I want you to notice in verse 5 how short our memories are. <laughs> Sarah said to Abraham, May the wrong you have done to me. Be upon you. <laughs> May the Lord judge between you and me. <laughs> she seemed to forget that she's the one who instigated this whole fiasco. <laughs> and imagine all Abraham's confusion standing there scratching his head <laughs> and says, you know, Sarah, honey, it was your idea. <laughs> what do you mean it's my idea? Don't pin it on me now. <laughs> you see, refusing to accept responsibilities for our action, did not start with the left-wing liberals. Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed Satan, and here Sarah sought to place the whole blame on Abraham. And who would blame Hagar? I mean, she's carrying the boss's baby. I mean, for her, that was a promotion on the job. (laughs) She's no longer a maid, and she started looking down her nose at her mistress. And the more Hagar's figure blossoms, the more Sarah becomes cantankerous and difficult to live with. (laughs) Now, men, I want you to learn from Abraham today. Learn how he handled the situation. Abraham understood the first lesson in survival. And it's called surrender. (laughs) He knew that he couldn't get on the plane and, and head out for a business trip. So he said to Sarah, he said, look, She's all yours. Do all you want to do, and I'm going to go out and talk to the camels. <laughs> Verse 6. Hagar did what many people tend to do when they face a crisis. She ran away from the problem. When things get tough, the tough get going. Out the door. <laughs> Most of us prefer to run away rather than hang in there and deal with our problems. People quit jobs. People quit schools. They walk out on marriage partners. And they do it with amazing speed. God doesn't expect me to be unhappy, does He? And they run away. The problem is they don't realize that in running away, they're taking their problem with them. Wherever they go, they got their problem with them. They haven't dealt with it. They don't realize that the problem is in the person that they're looking at in the mirror. For Hagar, this was one of those difficult times. She could not handle it, and she was heading back for Egypt. But before she got too far, an angel of the Lord finds her, and he tells her to return to her mistress. Verse 9 of chapter 16. The angel tells her two things that she doesn't like, neither do you. Neither do I. What are these two things? In fact, he told her those, those two things that often gives our generation 
a mailbox moment. Return and submit. We don't like those. Most of us pray, Lord, change your circumstances. I've prayed that prayer, but not once did I hear the Lord saying, Okay, Michael, I'll do that. (laughs) Not once. (laughs) Trust me. I am telling you, this is a testimony to the Lord. I often hear him loud and clear, and he said, Hey, I'm trying to change you to fit your circumstances. That's what God does. He wants to change us. And Hagar comes back, and she puts up with with Sarah for about 13 more years. (laughs) At this point, chapter 16 ends, and it tells us that Abraham was 86 years of age. Now, if you haven't listened to anything I've said so far, if you're wandering somewhere, your mind has gone a million miles away, I want you to focus with me just for a bit. This is the most important part in this message. Between the age of 86, at the end of chapter 16, at the age of 99, in the beginning of chapter 17, the Bible is absolutely silent. Nothing is said. 13-year period between the end of 16 and the beginning of 17. And the Bible does not tell us why the Bible is silent. And I want you to listen carefully because I always make a distinction between what I'm saying and what is the Scripture telling. And this is my conjecture here. There was nothing important to report in that 13-year period. And I want to tell you that there's nothing important that goes on in your life or in my life when we are out of the will of God. Because that's where Abraham was. And when Abraham and Sarah tried to interpret the will of God by what seemed to be natural, they marched right out of fellowshipping with God. And the moment they marched out of the will of God, Ishmael was born and their spiritual growth began to stop. This is the second time here you see that Abraham wandered into a period of spiritual stagnation. And since I start making conclusion about this period, might as well go the whole way. (laughs) During that period, I speculate that most likely Abraham became successful as ever. Most likely his influence in the community was never greater. Most likely his reputation of being a hero for rescuing Lot made him an important citizen. But most of all, Abraham thought that everything between him and the Lord is hunky-dory. Watch out. That's a dangerous place to be. After all, he helped God fulfill his miracle, fulfill his promise. Abraham was living a life of a perfect gentleman farmer. No crisis to talk about. No hassles. No financial crisis. No family crisis. No testing. No hassles. Ah, God must be pleased with me. (laughs) Now, my friend, I want you to listen, please, very carefully. The times when the waters of your life are smooth, it is time for you to be concerned about your relationship with the Lord. Abraham failed to recognize that smooth water did not always mean that God is pleased with him. 
Sometimes when the waters of life are smooth, it could mean that spiritual stagnation has begun to sit in in your life. The hours when you are struggling and facing crisis after crisis, when you're running uphill and the wind against your face. These are often times when you and I are growing in our spiritual walk with the Lord. Don't knock them down. We don't like them. But this is the secret of your growth in mind. God does not necessarily want comfortable Christians. I don't read it anywhere in the scripture. Read Acts chapter 13. When the apostles were absolutely harassed, the scripture said they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. When circumstances seem to be easy and comfortable, it can mean that spiritual progress is at standstill. I think the main reason for Abraham's peace of mind during that period of 13 years was the fact that he was living in a false premise. Some of you are living in a false premise. He thought that Ishmael was the fulfillment of God's promises. And the Lord had to reprogram Abraham out of his self-centeredness. The Lord had to reintroduce Abraham to the big picture of God. So at the age of 99, on his 99th birthday, the Lord pays him a visit. Now, if any of you are keeping a ledger, it's been 24 years now since God promised Abraham in Genesis 12. And here in 17.1, turn to it, 17.1. I want you to mark in your Bibles, by the way, that period of 13 years. Put it down there. It will remind you as you read the Bible again in 10 years' time. Verse 1. For the first time, the Lord now identifies himself to Abraham in a different way. He identifies himself as El Shaddai. That magnificent Hebrew word which means the Almighty One. The All-Powerful One. In other words, he's saying to Abraham, I didn't need your improvising. I just needed your obedience. Then he commands Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. Do you know why God said this to Abraham? God is saying to Abraham, don't keep on making the same mistake over and over and over again. Don't keep making the same mistake. How many of us spiritually just keep on making the same mistake and we repent and we fall again? And God is saying to Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. Learn from your experience. Learn from the lessons that I have allowed in your life. But you know, there is a comforting note here. You just blessed my heart. And it is this. God's promises are never affected by our failure. Our failure is painful to us. Our failure can stomp our spiritual growth. Our failure hurts those around us. But thank God, His promises remain the same. And here at the age of 99 for Abraham and 90 for Sarah, God is about to renew His work in their life. He changes the name of Abraham to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah. But not only that, He's about to bless them with a son of their own. Now listen, please, don't ever think that you are too old to accomplish great things for God. Now I don't mean you're going to have babies like Abraham, 
But you sure can have spiritual children at any time in your life. Even when you are physically unable to get around, you know what? You can intercede and you can pray better than the rest of us because you have more time. And I was talking about this and thought of a friend who gave me a little uh, cutting of a newspaper where uh, a child was lamenting his grandparents' retirement and went something like this. After summer break, the teacher asked the small pupils how they spent their summers. One little boy's reply went something like this. We always spent summer with grandma and grandpa. They used to live up here in a big brick house, but grandpa got retarded. And they moved to Florida. (laughs) Now they live in a park with a lot of other retarded people. (laughs) They live in tin huts. And they ride tricycles that are too big for me. (laughs) They all go to a building which they call a wrecked room. (laughs) W-R-E-C-K-E-D. But it's fixed now. They all do exercises but not very well. They play a game of big checkers and they push them around on the floor with sticks. There's a swimming pool there, but I guess nobody teaches them because they just stand there in the water with the hats on. <laughs> My grandma used to bake cookies for me, but nobody cooks there anymore. I said, they all go to restaurants and fast food and, and they have discounts. <laughs> and when you come into the park, there is a dollhouse. With a man sitting there, and he watches all day for who's going in and who's coming out. And nobody leaves without him seeing. I guess everybody forgets who they are because they wear badges with their names on them. (laughs) Grandma said, Grandpa worked hard all his life for this retirement. (laughs) I miss the cookies, and I wish they would move back. But I guess the man in the dollhouse won't let them out. (laughs) God can use you at any age. I want you to notice with me in verse 8. In fact, the first eight verses of chapter 17. There's something profound here. Mark it in your Bible. What is happening God is coming there and he's talking to Abraham. And he's saying to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to fulfill my promise. And I'm going to give you a son. And you know, until you get to verses 15 and 16, you don't realize what Abraham was thinking. Most of us said, I'll be preaching and you're thinking of something else. Right? That happens. (laughs) And sometimes, you know, men are notorious with this. They'll be listening or at least pretend to be listening and they're not really listening. And that's what's happening here. God is talking to Abraham about the fulfillment of the covenant. All that Abraham is thinking about is Ishmael. God is talking about something new, something magnificent, something supernatural. And all that Abraham is doing is thinking about Ishmael, Ishmael, Ishmael. God already has given me a son. He must be going to bless him some more. And then he goes in and said, As for Sarah, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of all people shall come out of her. And Abraham still thinking Ishmael. And he hears the Lord says something about Sarah. He says, oh, isn't that nice? He's going to remember Sarah. <laughs> isn't that sweet of the Lord to do that? And all of a sudden, he probably stopped halfway through his thought. And he says, what? <laughs> Sarah? Now, you don't mean that, Lord. you already given me a son. By Sarah through Hagar. 
We took care of that for you. Lord, Ishmael is already born. Surely, surely, Lord, he is the boy that you want. How often that we settle for second best when God wants us to have his best. That's what Abraham is doing right here. Have you ever thought that you have heard the Lord when you basically have heard the voice of your desire? What the flesh is telling you? Have you ever thought that you were in God's will when you're actually doing what you want to do? Have you ever been convinced about something to be the will of God and you go on your merry, happy way and then you face a rude awakening and it was not the will of God at all? Poor old Abraham. He was in one of those predicaments. Now... Every bit of wheeling and dealing for the past 13 years went up in smoke. Why do you suppose that God waited for so long? (laughs) I'll tell you why. Because geriatric maternity wards are not very common. (laughs) And often God works when the very last human possibility has been exhausted. Only when you come to the end of your tattered rope that he comes in and he hands you a silken cord. Only when you begin to sink in your canoe in the middle of the ocean does he lift you up and invite you to his ocean liner. For 13 years, Abraham planned his life. He planned his hope on Ishmael. He pinned his hope on Ishmael. Now his heart is throbbing with heartache. And the Lord must have known that. So to soften the blow, he says, My covenant I will establish with Isaac when Sarah will bear you a child at this time next year. Glory. No more waiting. (laughs) That's it. Is God silent in your life? Have you given up listening to the voice of God, thinking That if the waters of life are smooth with you, everything must be okay between you and the Lord. Take time to listen to God. And I pray that He will speak to us. Let's pray. Lord, have I been barking up the wrong tree? I've been chasing after dreams and mirages and fallacies. Stop me dead in my tracks, turn me around today. Let me hear your voice and yours alone. Is there a barrier that has come between you and the Lord? Have you put your hopes in Ishmael and you cease to listen to the voice of God? There's something has come between you and the Lord. And you assumed because he's silent, that means he's happy with you. And he's been trying to get your attention. Say, speak to me, Lord. Has your business or your work got you so busy that you can't see the priorities of life? Is there a person that has become an idol in your life? Say, I want to hear your voice, Lord. Our loving God. 
Our hearts are open before you. We can't hide any secrets from you. We know that the day is coming when all the secrets of the heart will be shouted from the mountaintops. We come to you in confession, our God. We have ceased to listen to your voice. We have taken you for granted. We have taken your blessings for granted. Father God, speak to our hearts not only at this moment, but for the coming days. Father, that we may be forgiven, that we may be restored, that we may be used in a mighty way, just as you have used a 99-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman. Use us for thy kingdom, because, Lord, we know ultimately that's what really counts. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.